0: If you'd like, please, uh, we're reading today out of uh, Hebrews 13, 1 through 6, found on page 1009. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to share worship and fellowship this morning. We just pray that our, our hearts and minds are open to the word. Be with uh, Brother Scott as he preaches and delivers your message. We you just uh, ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Sacrifice is pleasing God. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, And be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The word of God for the people of God.
1: Among our earliest writings outside of the New Testament is a collection that's called the Apostolic Fathers. This is the generation of Christians who learned Christ under the apostles themselves. One of the writings that we have is from about 100 years after the book of Hebrews is written, where um, a Christian is writing to someone named Diognetus. Um, There's a name if you're looking for a new name for a a son, Um, and he explains what Christians are because Christians are this weird group and a lot of rumors are going around about who we are and what we we believe. So I I want to read a portion of this. For Christians are not distinguished from the rest of humanity by country, language, or custom. For nowhere do they live in cities of their own, nor do they speak some unusual dialect, nor do they practice an eccentric way of life. This teaching of theirs has not been Uh, discovered by the thought and reflection of ingenious people, nor do they promote any human doctrine, as some do. But while they live in both Greek and barbarian cities, as each one's lot was cast and follow the local customs and dress and food and other aspects of life, at the same time they demonstrate the remarkable and admittedly unusual character of their own citizenship. They live in their own countries, but only as non-residents. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign country is their fatherland, and every fatherland is foreign. They marry like everyone else and have children, but they do not expose their offspring. They share their food, but not their wives. They are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws. Indeed, in their private lives, they transcend the laws. They love everyone, and by everyone they are persecuted. They are unknown, yet they are condemned. They are put to death, yet they are brought to life. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are in need of everything, but abound in everything. They are dishonored, yet they are glorified in their dishonor. They they are slandered, but they are vindicated. They are cursed, yet they bless. They are insulted, yet they offer respect. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When they are punished, they rejoice as though brought to life. By the Jews, they are assaulted as foreigners, and by the Greeks, they are persecuted. Yet those who hate them are unable to give a reason for their hostility. This is, um, read this because it picks up on a lot of what Hebrews uh, that we read today is telling us, Um, tells us of their love for everyone and their openness to everyone, Um, the way they are generous, they make many rich even though they have needs. Um, it tells about their sexual morality because it talks about they have a common table. That is, they're their, um, sharing with others and their um, hospitality, um, but they do not share. Uh, they have a common table, but not a common bed, as other translations say. But as in, they, they share their tables, but they don't share their wives. They're not promiscuous. They're, they're generous. And in all of these things, he's st- taking, talking about how they're weird. You know, they're unusual. They don't fit in with the, the norms of society. And in many ways, it's exactly the same today, that we are called to live apart, that we, we live in the midst of people dressing like others, eating the same food, um, speaking a different language. There, there is no Christian nation, right? He says they don't have a unique nation. There, there's no, this idea of a Christian nation is not Christian. It, it, there's no Christian nation. It's, they live in all nations. We're the church. We're the kingdom. And the kingdom is through all nations. And, but in this, we're good citizens. We obey the laws. And yet, we are different and different in the way we live. And Hebrews has been this great reminder don't fall away. Um, you're you're a small group. You're unpopular. You're you're doing things that look weird to other people. Um, people are um, ridiculing you, and you're 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 looking at those who go to the synagogue and go back to pagan temples, and you see how they seem to have everything, and they can see what they're what they're doing. And we gather together, and there's the temptation to leave Christ and go to these things. So all of this has been about to remind us: Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is better hold fast. A faith that saves is a faith that endures and continues into the end. And as we have uh, closed up with this reminder to run fast, to, to lift your uh, weary hands and your, um, strengthen your, um, your, your legs and to, to continue the race and to worship a God who is a consuming fire and will judge, as we're reminded to endure in the faith and to worship Him, now, in chapter 13, we come to what that looks like. This It's not just mentally saying, okay, I believe in Jesus. It's a faith that is going to be worked out in our lives that has an impact on all of our relations. So, 13 is going to close off with looking at how we live with one another and then also how we worship God. So, our worship is the, the way we live. Our whole life is to be a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving as well as gathering together to lift the Lord's name and to hear his word. And so today we're going to look at this, this first section, which is dealing with all of our relationships. And I think it, it starts, if you imagine a bullseye, it starts out at the really low scores, and it's working our, its way into our very heart. Um, and so we're going to start on the outside circle. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for the, thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So, brotherly love, y'all might have remembered Philadelphia, right? So, it's the city of brotherly love. Um, there's that, but then uh, the, the word for hospitality is here. It's uh, Philozenia, loving the stranger, loving someone different. So, the whole idea here is that we have a love for others because they're made in Christ's image, that there's just a love for others and a love even for those who are different. Love for the stranger, that we show our hospitality, they welcome to our table. We open our homes to people, we're open to others. Um, trusting Christ is to lead us into this sort of uh, lifestyle. Um, so it talks about um, some of entertained angels, and I think what he's referring to is Abraham and Sarah. You'll remember they welcomed um, some strangers, and those strangers turned out to be messengers of God, um, predicting and, and telling of the coming of, uh, or that, that they would have a son that would fulfill the covenant. I think that's what he's referring to, but there's a reminder that um, that's part of our DNA. It's part of our heritage as God's people, and doesn't that seem weird? I mean, we're, we're a small town, so we still continue community, but the number of people you drive through a, a, a suburb where, you know, 530 garage door slams in your own little group and you don't know neighbors is so much a part of the culture we live in. And beyond that, I mean, it kind of grows so that we have the idea that unless somebody voted like me, and unless somebody believes pretty much everything like me, and unless somebody would agree with me on all sorts of issues, I need to denounce them as an enemy that's not at all what hospitality looks like. Hospitality says, I don't know you. We're different. We, we, but, but there's something in common because we're people. We're made in God's image. And one of the things as Christians, we are called to show hospitality. This is, this seems really strange if you think about it. Here's a persecuted minority that the whole worry of Hebrews is that they are tempted to go back to where the majority is. They're tempted to go back to the synagogue. They're tempted to go back to the temple. And here's the, the temptation is they're going to fall away. They're going to lose the faith. And what would we do if we were a small group worried about um, people being persuaded to go to other things? Well, we'd say, don't wait. don't get around strangers. Let's huddle up. Let's, let's put up our guard and let's make a rail and make sure... And let's, let's put up a lot of um, um, markers of what means you're inside versus outside. And anyone outside, we need to keep at arm's length, right? And that's the way the world does it. The world does it. If, you, if you're not part of my tribe, you're suspicious, and I, I owe you nothing. And, matter of fact, to even acknowledge that somebody across the aisle might be a good person is considered just caving in. And yet... As a Christian, we can't have that attitude. A Christian has to say, hey, I know you don't believe in Jesus. I know you disagree vehemently with you on some of these issues. And I disagree with you, and I'm not going to, but but because I'm trusting in who I'm trusting, I can be open. So, some very practical ways as, as we gather together, are we showing hospitality to people who visit with us? Are we showing hospitality to one another and to strangers throughout the week, inviting them into our homes, opening our sharing a table together? Are we doing this? We're opening our lives, or are we tempted to cluster up with those we trust? Are we we tempted to gather together and to put a guard against anyone who might be a threat? Let brotherly love continue. Have you noticed in the list of um, um, requirements for elders and deacons, none of them are, are like really other than apt to teach, none of them are anything not required of all Christians, right? They're all just, hey, this is somebody who exemplifies a Christian. And in every list, it says they need to be a person of hospitality. We are to be people of hospitality. We need to lead with hospitality. We need to show a love for the stranger and someone who's yeah. not necessarily part of us. We still love them. So we're gonna move one tier in. We're we're in with the group. So remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, those who are mistreated, since you were also in the body. I don't think he's saying everyone in prison, remember, because they couldn't. They could remember those who are part of the body and being persecuted. Right. So the idea here is remember the people of our community, people who are in the church who are going through persecution. We might say, uh, remember those going through difficulties, facing challenging times. Because I, I think what he's doing here is he's, he's starting out on this outer edge and working way in. And I don't think he's saying, I'm giving you an exhaustive list of how to be a Christian. What he's saying is, let me show you some examples of the way you do this in each relationship. So to the stranger, the foreigner, be loving and kind and hospitable. To those among you, remember the ones who are going through the toughest times remember those facing the most difficult situations. Why? Because, well, it's so much more fun to be with somebody going through a fun time, right? I mean, to be with somebody going through difficulty and to really care and show is that remembering isn't just I'm showing compassion and I have feelings about this. To remember somebody is saying, okay, here's what you're facing. How can I step in and care? Let me this example, they're not just saying, oh, we remember our, our brother Stephen is in prison. I think the idea there is we remember our brother Stephen is in prison. Therefore, we need to make sure his family's taken care of. We need to make sure that we're doing what we can to serve him. We need to make sure that we're doing everything as though we ourselves are there. Like, if, if I was in that situation, what would I want somebody doing for me? And so for for us, that means looking at one another and not just saying who who am I close to and and who can I celebrate with, but who is going through difficulty where I can step in and show compassion and say what can I do for you, how can I serve you? I can say this now because it's been a very long time since this has happened, but and it, you know it used to be just kind of the thing where if somebody was facing difficulty, someone would call and ask how so and so is doing, and that you know. I understand that, but I a lot of times want to say, why don't you call so-and-so and ask them? Because I'm sure they would enjoy the call. <laughs> they would appreciate this. In other words, we're not just calling to get the news and the gospel on somebody. If you truly care, get with that person and see how can I serve you. Reach out to them. It's not just getting the information. It's letting that person know that you love and you care and you're there for them. What can we do for those who are facing the difficulties even after those difficulties are going on and on, um, that we bear one another's burdens. I, I think what he's saying there is, you know, the challenging thing is those who are in prison, those who are going through difficulties, how do we serve them? So we're going to move now beyond our church family, the church community, into our homes. Let, the marriage, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulteress, the, the adulteress. We hold up marriage because it is the basis of each family. It's the basis of a home. And so the idea is there that we want to honor um, the, the, the basis of where children are brought up, where we're caring for others, where we're learning what it means to follow Jesus. And so we honor marriage. The letter to Diognetus was saying they, they have a common table but not a common bed. They, they share things but not their wives. And in that time, they, physical intimacy was essentially an appetite to be taken care of, right? And Christians came along and said, no, no, this is something different. This is a covenant bond. And now we live in a time when when the attitude is very different. The attitude now is, this is self-expression. This is who I am and what I do. And in both pagan world and post-Christian world, relationships are basically about serving me, right? It's like, this is my identity. This is what I do, this is my appetite. This is these are my needs. And for the Christian, it's not like that. The Christian is saying it's for serving others. It's for this relationship that is based on a covenant relationship with the one you're in marriage with, but also a, a, a safe home for those who come out of this union. And so, it's a, we're weird to the world about relationships, but we're no. Weirder than Christians were in pagan Rome. It's the idea that God, who has made us, has made us and given us a a purpose and intention to things. We're not accidents of matter that can decide what we want to do. And so, as we see this, we honor marriage. And we don't change based on the way the world looks things. We see that marriage is. And relationships are to be within a marriage of a man and a woman, committed together and following Christ. I do find it very interesting that he reminds us that it is God who judges. The Supreme Court does not get to define marriage. God who created man and woman defines marriage, and God will judge. Then he goes even further. So we've gone out from the outside, we've come in to... Um, the church, we've come into our homes, and now we're looking at my heart. And what does this say about my heart? Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's stepping on all our toes here. (laughs) All of us are getting a reminder that uh, the, the, the things that we divide over, God is kind of challenging every one of us because there's some of us who would say, yep, having my own stuff and I've earned this and this belongs to me and I need more of it, is the way, that's just the way the world is. And God challenges us and says acquiring more and getting more is not what you're made for. If you're going to trust in me, you can't love money. You can't make money and performance and things to get money your ultimate goal, the love of having more, you have to learn to be content. And to follow Christ and to follow Him and and hold fast to Him means at some point we say, I'm content because I trust in God. We're we're, we're told constantly um, because everything that we have, everything... Every app on your phone is trying to sell you something, right? I mean, everything we're surrounded by is trying to make us discontent with what we have and tell us if we only had more and we got this next project, we would be happy. And to get more, and and so we're constantly striving and constantly feeling, if I could just get the next thing. But if we're trusting in God, what we say is, where I am and what I have is God being good to me. Discontent is ultimately saying, God's not looking out for me, and I better look out for myself. He's not giving me enough. That doesn't mean we, we don't have needs that we need to try to um, take care of, that we don't um, need financial resources, that we don't work, that we don't try to um, in- increase and look after things. But it does mean if I have a heart that is constantly striving for more, for more, for more, I have a heart that is not trusting in Jesus. I'm not trusting him to give me what I need. And so all of this, all of these things are reflections of a trust that I would say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's from Psalm 118. And if you really apply it, all of these others come. If you really trust in Jesus, if you're saying, I'm fearing God, if I fear God, what can anyone do? And if I have a heart like that, then yeah, I can be generous with my funds. I can be I can be generous with my money because I'm trusting God to provide. And, and so I can give. And, and I'm not constantly pursuing and calling for more. If I'm truly trusting in Jesus, I'm going to trust Him for my happiness. And I'm not going to say that that other things will provide So in a family, I can give of myself to others. Rather than looking at other people of how can I use you to bring myself joy and build myself up. If I'm if I'm truly trusting in Jesus and saying He is my helper, then I can look with compassion on those who have gone through difficulty, remember His mercy to me and say, I joyfully can help serve and love others in need. And if I'm trusting Him, I don't have to fear the, the stranger. If I'm trusting His truth and His goodness and, and say, I, I love God, what can people do to me? Then that I can be really open to people who disagree with me, who even hate me, who are very different and still love them and show compassion because I'm not looking to them, I'm looking to him. And so all of these are empowered by a spirit that trusts in Jesus. And if he's willing to do what he's done, if he's willing to go to the cross for you, of course he's going to give you good things. Of course he's going to protect you. Of course he's going to be with you. And if you're truly trusting in those things, your life is going to reflect that trust in the way you treat every single person, every possession, from the way you treat the things that you have to the way you treat the the people with a bumper sticker from the person you didn't vote for. Every bit of that is going to be changed because you're looking to Jesus. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles Creed?